I'm making notes, Captain. And your name will go on the list. And when we win the war, you will be brought to account. You're right, what you like. You're not going to win this war. Oh, yes, we are. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> Whistle while you work. Hitler is a twerk. He's half army, so's his army. Whistle while you work. Your name will also go on the list. <laughs> what is it? Don't tell him, Pike. Pike. I wonder, what's your favourite comedy? At the moment, mine is probably W1A. So that's all good then. But I grew up with Dad's Army, written by Jimmy Perry and David Croft, sadly no relation. Eighty episodes were broadcast between 1968 and 1977. I was aged between 11 and 20, and I think I've seen most of those 80 episodes, but probably not all. Looking back, I guess Dad's Army struck a chord for my parents' generation, who'd lived through the Second World War. It was a way of coming to terms with the immense tragedy and suffering of the war years, and finding healing through laughter. As is the way with sitcoms, the different characters offer different ways of responding to the same situation, and we see ourselves reflected back in different shades. How would we have responded to fear and danger and the questions asked by wartime? How are we responding now? And it's interesting, but not surprising, that so many of the responses in Dan's army are marked by fear. Don't panic, shouts Corporal Jones. His fear is infectious and, of course, leads to people running round like headless chickens. We're all doomed, Captain Mannering, says Private Fraser, spreading despair and sapping the very limited strength of the platoon. "'May I be excused?' says Private Godfrey, creeping away from the back of the line. "'Are you sure that's really wise, sir?' asked the gentle Sergeant Wilson, the most valuable member of the leadership team. "'But perhaps that's not saying very much.' "'Fear is our unwelcome and sometimes unacknowledged companion.' in most situations of crisis, and in many different parts of our lives. In its acute forms, fear prevents people getting out of bed in the morning. Anxiety strips joy away from families. Fear prevents relationships forming. We worry about what's going to happen, about what people think. Social media and being available 24-7 has undoubtedly raised anxiety levels among the young. Last week I watched the new documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, about the addictive and destructive effects of new technology. We all fall victim to fear of missing out or FOMO, the belief that everyone else is having a good time somewhere else. And fear is a feature of our journey through COVID-19. We are afraid of the disease itself and its consequences, We are afraid of death and dying. We are afraid of the effects on our families. And some of that fear is rational, of course. Covid is a dreadful disease and deaths are beginning to rise again. Some is irrational. And we know that fear multiplies itself within us and in others and often goes beyond what is justified, stripping away 
our reason, and our capacity to act. Fear has characterised some of the meetings I've been part of through the pandemic, and some of the decision-making processes, even though that fear has not always been named. We're exploring in this series of podcasts the songs of the unknown prophet who sang to the exiles in Babylon two and a half thousand years ago. He or she sings to bring God's comfort to the people and God's strength. The songs are preserved for us as part of the Bible in Isaiah chapters 40 to 55. It will soon be time for the exiles to return. They will need to look to the future and to hope in order to make the journey back to Jerusalem and then to rebuild. We saw last week the ways in which the prophet seeks to bring strength through pointing the people to the song of creation, to the strength and power of the living God. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. In chapter 41, the prophet's song now moves on from the themes of comfort, hope and renewal to address this paralyzing fear in the hearts and lives of the exiles. The people of God have lived for decades as refugees. Perhaps in some ways they've become comfortable in Babylon, but they have no security. At any time those around them might turn on them, How are they to find confidence to rebuild, still less to make the journey back to Jerusalem? Well, listen to the tender way in which God speaks to them through the prophet's song. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Let's just pause there for a moment in verse 8 and really hear what's being said. Wouldn't that be wonderful if Almighty God could address you and I in that way? If God were to reach out to us and call us his servants, his chosen, his friends? Well, that is exactly what God is doing, of course, in Christ. Jesus says in John 15, I do not call you servants any longer, but I have called you friends. So these are words which we can hear in our situation, addressed to us as we walk through this present darkness. These words of gentleness and love. My servant, my chosen, my friend. Perhaps just take a moment to hear God speaking those words to you. The prophet continues. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, nowhere is beyond God's reach, God's gaze, God's love. The verse goes on, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. There's a sense here, I think, of the Lord calling out to Israel and Israel, as it were, looking over his shoulder and saying, What? Me? 
You can't mean us, surely. We failed you, Lord. We came from nowhere. Our home is at the ends of the earth. Babylon is clearly the centre of the world now. We are captives and in a foreign country. Our families let you down. Now we're just a scattered group of exiles no one's ever heard of. You can't mean us. You probably hardly even remember us and our ancestors. The prophet sings, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. It takes God some time to gain Israel's attention and for Israel to realize that God is speaking to them. And when God has their attention, this is what he says. The entire message of Isaiah 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. That's verse 10. A few verses further on. For I, the Lord, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, do not fear, I will help you. That's in verse 13. And for a third time. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you insect, Israel. I will help you, says the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Listen to this, my servant, my chosen, my friend. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. How should we hear the prophet's song? Perhaps the first step is to listen to and acknowledge our own fears. One of the strange things about fear is that it not only imprisons us, but like the exiles, we may perhaps grow used to our captivity. Living as the prisoner of fear becomes normal, so much so that we forget our chains. One of the most powerful moments in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is when Gandalf sets free Theoden, king of Rohan. Rohan is a man who has been taken prisoner by fear, whispered in his ear by his devious servant Wormtong. Over many years Wormtong has magnified the dangers and the forces of evil and has whispered despair into the heart of the king, sapping his strength, cutting him off from the light and those he loves and making him a prisoner of anxiety and of fear. Theoden has grown so used to these chains of despair that he no longer realises that they are there, until Gandalf releases him and restores him to life. It was no doubt the same with the exiles, and it can be the same with us. Our fears slowly multiply, perhaps especially so in uncertain and dangerous times we do not realise that we are even afraid or the way our fears are drawing off our energy and strength. So perhaps I can ask you 
to look back over the last six months and reflect for a moment. What part has fear played in your own life and your life's journey? What part is anxiety playing now in the key decisions you are making? Does it have too loud a voice? Does all of that fear and caution have the support of reason? Are there inner fears which you are keeping deep inside and cannot name or talk through with those closest to you? Are those chains of fear shaping the decisions you make in your work or your Christian service or your family? If that is the case, listen to the word of the Lord to you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. We recognize and we remember and we name our fears and bring them into the light of God's love. At the same time, through the songs of the prophet, we remember whose we are. We remember who God is. God's majesty, God's love, God's salvation in Christ. God's love for us, despite our failings and weaknesses. God's promise of support. There are many passages to explore on that theme, including the journeys of the exiles, but I'm drawn again and again in reading this prophet to the last discourses of Jesus in John's Gospel. We saw two episodes ago the way in which Jesus there names the Holy Spirit as the Comforter, echoing the Greek of Isaiah 40, where the prophet sings, Comfort my people. In those same last discourses, Jesus speaks of the gift of the Holy Spirit, who comes to dwell within the heart of the believer. God sets his Holy Spirit within us. The Comforter, the Advocate in the New Revised Standard Version, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. There is a connection between the presence of the Holy Spirit and overcoming our fears. Again, on the evening of the first Easter day, this is how Jesus describes the gift of the Holy Spirit to the first disciples. Remember that they are afraid. Their doors are locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Anyone who reads anything about the history of the church will know that the church from time to time has needed to remember this great treasure, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, coming to dwell in our heart, driving away fear, releasing us from anxiety, giving us the hearts of lions again, courage to live out and bear witness to our faith and to follow wherever God leads. You might think we've moved on some way now from Isaiah 41, but that's not the case. One of the most powerful images for the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel is drawn directly from this prophet. In John 7, Jesus stands up on the last and greatest day of the festival, 
and cries out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is echoing Isaiah 55.1 and also 58.11. But in our passage as well, after the threefold command not to be afraid, this is what the prophet sings. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights, and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and the dry land springs of water. God is in the business of turning deserts into springs of living water, and especially the dry places of our hearts, the deserts which are growing there. As a church now, I think our hearts are dry, and we need again a new Pentecost for this season. Last Sunday, in one of the churches in Oxford, it was an enormous privilege to baptise and confirm two older teenagers and one adult into Christian faith, and to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit all in a socially distanced way. And in the afternoon on the same day, it was again an immense privilege to ordain four new deacons as we come to the end of this season of ordinations in which so many gifted new ministers have been ordained into the ministry of God's church. We thank God for them. It was wonderful to pray for the candidates and for the ordinands. But my prayer this week is for the whole church that we might recognize our fears, that we might hear God's words to us of comfort and strength, and that we might seek again the renewing grace and power of God's Spirit. I want to finish today by reading the great prayer which invites the Spirit to come into all our lives. Make it with me today and in the coming week. Come Holy Ghost, our souls inspire and lighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing Spirit art, who dost thy sevenfold gifts impart. Thy blessed unction from above is comfort, life, and fire of love. Enable with perpetual light the dullness of our blinded sight. Anoint and cheer our soiled face with the abundance of thy grace. Keep far our foes, Give peace at home, where thou art guide, no ill can come. Teach us to know the Father, Son, and thee of both to be but one, that through the ages all along this may be our endless song. Praise to thy eternal merit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.